turn with me again to the Gospel of Mark, beginning in chapter 5 this morning. But I'm also going to read a little bit later from uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. You might also turn there and keep a, a bulletin or something in, the, in that page. We'll uh, read that a little bit later. But Mark chapter 5, first verses 1 through 20. This is God's holy and foul word. Give careful attention as it's read this morning. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country. And the people came to see uh, see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had, been, who had had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. What has God done for you? We have all, uh, some of us have, and we have all heard testimonies of uh, people whose lives were dramatically transformed by the power of God, uh, bringing them to repentance and knowledge of His will. Uh, some of you, if you're like me, you may not have a story with such an outwardly dramatic plot um, to the question, what has God done for you? The man, this account of Jesus' ministry here has uh, an incredible story of what God has done for him, uh, outwardly and inwardly and and every way. And yet what I want us to reflect on this morning in part is the fact that we all need, uh, and we have all been delivered by the same authority and power uh, of God over the power of sin. We all need the same compassion uh, of Jesus. And if you really recognize the, the compassion the unspeakable compassion Jesus has shown to you, uh, 
uh, then you will follow him whatever the cost. You'll be eager to share him uh, with others as well. Uh, let's consider first the, the compassion of Jesus shown in this, this story. Verse 1 tells us they came to the other side of the sea. This is continuing the story uh, from last week. Jesus had said, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they got stuck in the storm. Jesus calmed the storm in the middle of the sea. Now they're arriving uh, where Jesus was, was planning to go. Um, and to see Jesus' compassion, uh, I think we need to, how, how amazing it is in the story, we need to see that this story intends to shock uh, readers in a couple of ways. Um, just consider first just the, the location, the scene where they land here. And think about it particularly in, uh, or from uh, the perspective of, of a Jewish believer. Uh, they're in the land of the Gerasenes here. This is where they land on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, this is outside of Palestine. It's a, it's a Gentile area. And the, the story presents uh, uncleanness everywhere, unholiness um, in terms of God's ceremonial law. There are, uh, it's, it's a land of Gentiles. Again, it's not a place where the true God is worshipped. Um, there's lots of pigs here. Um, uh, pigs were unclean. That, that God's people were not to eat or to, to care for pigs. Um, it's a, they land in this area of tombs, uh, probably cut out of the, the rocks in the hills. Um, and again, dead bodies and tombs were another thing that made uh, the people of God unclean. They were a picture of holiness and, and a needing need for cleansing uh, in the Old Testament. Um, there are evidently lots of demons here. Uh, there's this, this maniac Gentile uh, uh, possessed by demons as well. And yet of all places on the lake that Jesus determines to go and take his disciples, this is where they land. Uh, this is where they, they come to. And so I think we're meant to ask, why here? Uh, why, why did Jesus bring his disciples here? Um, the, the other shocking uh, part of the scene here is just the, the wretched, miserable condition of this, this man. Right? Described in verses 2 to 5, especially here, look at that with me again. He, he lives among the tombs. This is where he lives. Uh, Luke, Luke's account tells us he used to live in the city. Uh, now he lives down in the tombs. Luke tells us he doesn't ever wear clothes anymore. He goes around in the shame of, of nakedness. Uh, we learn he has this horde of demons controlling him. He gives his name as, as Legion. Uh, Legion was a Roman uh, grouping of soldiers, about 6,000 soldiers. And I don't think we're intended to understand it's exactly 6,000 or even necessarily that many. But the point is it's, it's many. It's not just one uh, demon that's controlling this man. Uh, verse 5 says he's known regularly to, to scream among the tombs and the mountains. Um, in his suffering, that he mutilates himself with stones. Um, Matthew's account tells us he was so fierce that no one could pass by that way. No one went near him. He was too dangerous. Um, that explains verses 3 and 4 here. He was, but because he was dangerous, the townspeople tried to tie him up many times, and he would break free. And, and presumably they would run away and stay away from him. So just think of the, the horror of this guy's life. Everyone avoided this place where he was dangerous and he was liable to attack. His blood-curdling screams echoed through the, the hills and the tombs uh, at night. He was this, this naked, bloody, horrific sight. Uh, and this is where Jesus wanted to land the boat and bring his disciples. Um, 
And no one would want to go to this place, especially your average you know, good uh, Jewish believer. Right? Uh, but such is the compassion of Jesus. Again, he seeks out people like this. Uh, Jesus welcomes and touches unthinkably lepers, as we've seen. Uh, or, or has uh, dinner parties with tax collectors. These unthinkable things. He, uh, as he goes on to cast out these, these demons from this man, of course. Uh, verse 15 evidently gives the man clothing. Um, uh, probably we can imagine helping him clean up, showing him love and care. And so there's this, this miracle of, of compassion and transformation. Now, most of us, re- I think, read this story and think uh, rightly what a horrible, helpless existence. And I'm glad I'm not in the condition like that. Um, yet I think in a very legitimate way this man is an illustration of our spiritual condition. Right? Not that this is a parable, this is a, this is a true story, but it points to the helplessness, the hopelessness, the, the self-destructive slavery uh, to evil that, that any of us uh, experiences apart from the compassion and the grace of God. And Jesus' uh, miracles, by his own explanation, are often intended to illustrate that. He heals the blind and he immediately speaks of giving sight, spiritual sight, to the blind. Right? The grace that transformed you and me, the compassion needed uh, to, to show that grace, uh, to pursue you, love you and me, is no less than what it was for this man. Uh, despite the, the great contrast we can do between our, our lives outwardly and his, uh, it's, it's so hard for us to see and really believe that our condition, ultimately, spiritually, is, is that bad, apart from, apart from the Lord. Right? Or to see people who are outside of Christ uh, in that condition. We want so badly to think well of ourselves. Right? Uh, maybe we or maybe someone else, they need some help from God, uh, but we're not despicably, wretchedly hopeless uh, in the way that this, this picture is here. Unless we think that that comparison is, is too, too extreme, well, the, the Bible makes that kind of graphic comparison itself. Um, this is what I want to read from Ezekiel chapter 16. If you have that open or if you don't, I, I uh, encourage you to turn there with me. Um, the, the Ezekiel 16, if you're not familiar with it, is maybe the, or at least one of the most graphic um, uh, PG-13, in a sense, illustrations or parables in the Bible. God is trying to get his people's attention here uh, to see how dramatic his rescue of them was, how drastic was the difference between their living outside of his grace uh, versus living uh, in his grace. And he's, he's, in this context, urging them to repent. But this, I, I want us to focus on the picture here of God's compassion uh, for every one of us. Uh, and how he transformed us. So Ezekiel 16, beginning of verse 1. As again the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your origin, this is the beginning of the, the parable of sorts, your origin and your birth are the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pity you. 
to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you are cast out in the open field, for you are abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, your hair had grown, that you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. And then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. And thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declare the Lord God. This is a, a powerful picture of what God has done for you. Uh, you are like a helpless, hated, abandoned baby lying in a field. It is the, the brutal imagery here. Like a demon-possessed maniac living in a graveyard uh, with, with no hope. That, that's not to say, again, that the lives of, of all of those apart from Christ uh, of unbelievers are, are hideous, are outwardly destructive or helpless in every way. There are many, many examples to the contrary. Right? It so often um, is, is not that way visibly. Right? People live in comfort and, uh, com- and, and, and wealth and or they're, they're kind or, um, but they are this helpless and hopeless spiritually, ultimately. And really, in one sense, the kinder and wealthier and happier you are apart from Christ, the more that this reality is masked. Well, Jesus had no, uh, no earthly or human reason, really, to go to the land of Gerasenes that day. Right? There's nothing to attract him to that place, that, that, that horrific place, these horrific scenes, except to show compassion on this man and to show his, his glory and his love and showing compassion on him. Likewise, Jesus had no reason to love or to pursue or to save you or me. There's nothing in you or me that is attractive or, or beneficial to God aside from demonstrating how unimaginably gracious and generous his compassion is to bring attention and glory to himself for all the good of all those who see it and come to him and understand it. And just to be clear, Jesus did not show his compassion on you in a way that's simply parallel to us being nice to each other, to another human. You know, like you might buy a sandwich for a, for a homeless person occasionally or something. You do something kind for someone in need. Well, Jesus became wretched and hated and abused and dead for you. 
in your place. He became the naked, rejected man living among the tombs, in a sense. Right? Or the, the bloody baby out in the field, rejected by its family. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. Uh, for you. Let's consider, secondly, the response to this miracle of compassion. Uh, number two on, on your outline. Just continuing this story in verse 6. Uh, the man uh, under the control of the demons runs up and bows down to Jesus. The demons, uh, as we've seen multiple times already, immediately recognize Jesus. And they're the only ones in the story so far who really know who he is. And they beg for mercy. Jesus sends them out. Uh, verse 10, they, they beg not to be sent out of the country, um, out of this area. We don't know why. It doesn't say why. Maybe they viewed this as such a place of, of refuge for evil. Um, uh, that's not clear. But they asked to go into these pigs, about 2,000 of them, Mark says, some of the some of those famous pigs in history here. Um, again, why in the pigs, uh, it doesn't say. Maybe they saw this as a better uh, alternative um, than being you know, immediately judged and destroyed by Jesus. Maybe he'll let us, maybe he'll let us go into the pigs. Um, but Jesus gives permission. Um, 2,000 pigs would be a, a huge herd of pigs in the ancient world. Um, almost certainly these would, these would be the pigs of, of many different owners from the town. A lot of different people own these pigs, and they hired pig herders together to, keep, uh, to, to, to uh, watch them all together, to take care of them all in, in one big group. Um, 2,000 pigs would be a ton of value. Um, uh, wrapped up in this this herd for uh, for the towns to be a, probably a big part of the local economy, um, and so it's obviously it became a very bad day to be a pig herder uh, in in the land of the Gerasenes, right? And verse 14 says they once the pigs run off the cliff, they they ran back to the town uh, to explain what happened. You know, just imagine trying to explain. Uh, what what they just seen? What happened? It, it probably sounded a little like a, a dog ate my homework kind of a an explanation. And but the people in the town come out to see. They see this this man that everyone uh, surely knew of, uh, probably knew him personally. Um, they see him healed and wearing clothes and in his right mind, uh, sitting there at Jesus' feet. They they see this miracle of restoration of their their brother, um, this man restored potentially to his community and to his family again. And, and then what's their response? Do they throw a party? Do they, they weep with tears of joy? Do they bow down before Jesus or invite Jesus back to the town? No, verse 15 says they were terrified. Uh, verse 17, then they, they're begging Jesus to leave. And, and Jesus does leave. Evidently, he feels forced out. Maybe they're threatening him. Uh, to leave. The last story that we considered last week, the calming of the storm, it also ended with fear towards Jesus um, after seeing his, his power and his authority over the storm. Uh, this one ends with fear towards Jesus as well, but that, that one was part of disciples growing in their faith. Uh, this, one, this one is part of a rejection of Jesus. Uh, why, why this response? Why this... In response to this great miracle of restoration, why a, a rejecting fear? Well, we can acknowledge this, this great loss of property 
uh, understandably sad and probably very painful uh, for the townspeople there. And yet they don't seem to care at all that their former neighbor is healed. Uh, they're, they're, I think part of the point of the story is they're not willing to, to uh, bear the cost of this man being healed and restored to the town and to his family. And, and maybe they're fearful of what else having Jesus around might cost them. It's already cost this much. Uh, maybe also they're, they're, they're fearful of the change that Jesus might demand or work in, him, in them. Uh, this is a dramatic uh, change that, that this man underwent uh, now to become evidently a disciple of Jesus. People are afraid to confront their own wretchedness and their need for a Savior. Right? It's often easier to push Jesus away than to have him around and, and count the cost and understand him rightly. Um, you know, we should acknowledge that's a, a natural response to Jesus in, in, our, in our sinful condition. Uh, most people like religious platitudes about love, and kindness, and forgiveness, and, and all of those good things. Um, but when they are confronted with the authority and the power of Jesus, the real nature of the, the cost of discipleship, uh, most people will ask him to leave. Right, or, or adopt some other understanding of who he is. To allow Jesus to be Lord of your life uh, costs your life in, in a real sense. Right, so we can acknowledge this was a, a huge loss uh, for those people, these 2,000 pigs. Uh, we might wonder why Jesus allowed it. Um, we could at least affirm that Jesus wasn't the one who destroyed the pigs. He wasn't uh, responsible for that. Um, but think about what lessons Jesus might have meant for those people, the people in this region, by, by allowing this great loss. Uh, maybe one lesson is, um, you know, better the pigs than the townspeople. I mean, weren't they the other option if, if the demons were insisting on living in some kind of being? Uh, better the pigs than them. Uh, Jesus allowed for the, the, the destruction of this, this presence of evil in their community. He demonstrated he had the power and authority over evil. And yet they asked him to leave. Uh, more likely, at least, Jesus is, is teaching here uh, that, that life and the restoration of this one suffering man was more valuable even than all of their pigs. Right? Jesus was pointing them to the value of of life and the life that he offered. Uh, they, they demonstrate their need for that lesson, their lack of concern for their man, that this man, and they're asking Jesus to leave because of the pigs. But Jesus is demonstrating the value uh, of life and his compassion. Uh, he values life, the life he created. He, he desires to restore those who will come to him for help. Um, they seem to value their stuff more than what Jesus was doing, more than the life that he was giving and offering um, and could give them. Uh, I want to offer just two, two illustrations, applications of, of contrast to Jesus' compassionate valuing of life here. Um, one that's, that's more easy and obvious and, and distant and, and one that's maybe a little more subtle and, and close to home. Uh, the, the first, I was reminded that a few years ago, I preached from this story in, in Luke, Luke's account of this story. And that, that same week, just a couple of days before I, I preached on that, um, there was an article in the New York Times on Peter Singer. Maybe some of you have heard of Peter Singer. He's the chair of bioethics at Princeton University. 
Um, so pretty uh, uh, elite and um, important position. Uh, Peter Singer, uh, as this article is de describing in part, uh, famously argues that life is most valuable uh, when it is what he defines as complex and conscious life. And he defines complex and conscious life specifically to exclude uh, disabled people and, and young uh, babies. Okay? Um, even up to you know, toddlers, he would argue, if, if they're not in a normal way attached to their mothers, um, their lives are not uh, valuable, complex life. Um, so he's famously argued that a healthy chicken is more worthy of life than a disabled human or uh, an infant uh, human. Um, and part of the connection to this story, he's argued uh, famously that highly intelligent pigs would have more right to live than some less intelligent humans. It would be more moral to save the life of the pigs, he argues, if, if the choice came up. Um, be more moral, more ethical to carry out experimentation on hopeless, unconscious orphan children, he says, than on perfectly healthy rats. Uh, preserve the rats. And uh, again, I, could, I wish I could say that Peter Singer is this total outlier, you know, not that nobody's heard of, that he's found on the internet, but this is the chair of bioethics to this day at Princeton University. He's been training undergraduates and graduate students for decades now, um, authored books and so on. And, you know, many, whether many people would consciously identify with, with those um, gruesome arguments that he makes um, and, and logical connections he makes, uh, millions of people act on those arguments, right? Most, most strikingly in, in the realm of abortion, right? Sacrificing the life of unborn children for what, what is to them um, more valuable things like careers, convenience, um, avoiding discomfort. Those are the sacred swine that many in our culture um, are unwilling to give up, even to save lives. Um, that's, that's, that's a real thing in our world. It's, it's very far, obviously, from Jesus calling an example, valuing of life here. But, but also, I, I just want to ask, what, what about you? Um, I, I, I trust that that kind of thinking is far from us here in this room, but are you valuing life? Are you valuing the physical, the spiritual life of others uh, in a way that reflects Jesus' compassion here, in a way that, that reflects Jesus' compassion uh, for you, his, his inexplicable pursuit of and compassion for you? Uh, does that lead you to value life? Are, are you willing, these townspeople were unwilling, and they're asking him to leave, are you willing to to lose, uh, to take a loss, not pigs, maybe, but time, money, comfort, privacy, um, other stuff for the sake of people who are in need. Uh, what, are, what are the precious pigs, if you will, in our lives that keep us from helping those who have need, whether they're poor or um, struggling with addiction or unwed mothers and unwanted pregnancies or whatever the con condition is. And, and most importantly, sharing the gospel, those who need to hear the gospel. Um, something to think about. Let's look at the, the conclusion of the story, number three on your outline here. Verse 18, it says Jesus is getting in the boat and the man who was healed um, was imploring him that he might accompany him. 
Uh, he wants to go along. He, he probably recognizes that Jesus is acting with the compassion and the saving power of God, and he wants to follow. He wants to be with Jesus and learn. Maybe he's also wanting to escape this, this place of evil that he's been living in. Well, here's another really, really striking thing in this story. Um, think about this. There are three requests in this story. The first request comes from the, the wicked demons, right? Uh, don't, you know, don't destroy us, don't send us away, let us go into the pigs. Jesus grants the wicked demons' request. Right? The second request in the story is from the, the townspeople, the selfish, unbelieving townspeople. They, want, they say, Jesus, get away from us, leave. And Jesus grants their request. And then the third request is from this, this evidently righteous, grateful, uh, new disciple of Jesus. He simply wants to be with Jesus, to go with him. And Jesus says no. He denies his request. He grants the request of the demons and the townspeople and denies the request of this new disciple. It points to the fact, again, that we can't understand always God's answers. The townspeople, again, were asked implicitly in the story of their willingness to count the cost, to give something up in order to have Jesus, to know Jesus. And they, they rejected that idea. Right? They weren't willing to pay the cost. This, this man now is asked also to give something up, right? to, to set aside what he wants um, in obedience to Jesus. Um, and he does. Uh, he, he obeys. Um, this man's request was a good one. It was a godly one. He wasn't asking for something bad. He was, he was desirous of something good, to be with Jesus, like his other disciples were. And that reminds us that God will say no to you at times. Right? He will have other plans uh, to use you or to grow you. It may be a good thing that you want. You may have godly motives in asking for what you desire. You cannot know God's will or his, his answer. And you're asking about a, a vocation or a ministry that seems good to you. It seems good for your family, good for others. And God may say no. Maybe it's, it's healing or something with your health. God may say no. You, you cannot know. Uh, perhaps God's calling you to consider whether you're pursuing what you want or valuing um, what you want more than considering how he's calling you right now to serve uh, in or to suffer for to grow in his kingdom uh, look how Jesus redirects this and instructs this man verse 19 it says he did not let him uh, that is, come with him he said to him go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you um, it seems again Jesus has been forced out of the land of the garrisons here um, but his kingdom is going to continue to be spread through this man. Right? He's going to share what great things the Lord has done for him. And it says he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis. That's not just his town, that's a region of ten cities. Uh, what great things Jesus had done for him. And I just want to remind you this morning, whether God says yes or no to your request, he's at least is at the least calling you uh, to witness to the great things that God has done for you. Um, 
Jesus has, in a sense, been banished from many you know, public spheres in our culture. Right? But he's present through his people, through your witness of what God has done for you. And you have a story to tell. Right? It, it may not be, for every one of you, um, an outwardly dramatic story. But unless you don't know Jesus as your compassionate Lord, you have a story to tell. An incredible story of God's compassion on you. Uh, spiritually, ultimately, you, you have a, an Ezekiel 16 dramatic story of God's compassion on you. Or a Mark 5 story of, of Jesus' compassion on you, despite who you are, apart from him. And then as I've reflected on this passage this week, I realized I need to reflect more on my helplessness, my hopelessness, um, what my condition, my, my self-destructive pride and so on uh, would be. Uh, apart from God's grace, uh, to see in, in greater fullness his compassion for me. Just, just as Jesus, again, had no earthly reason, no attraction to take him to the land of the Gerasenes that day. Um, he had no, no attraction, no, no humanly understandable reason um, to pursue you or to pursue me uh, in his compassion and his grace. And I think if we really grasp that, uh, how eager we would be to share it. Uh, with others as well. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for your word again this morning and uh, for this, this powerful example of your compassion uh, through the Lord Jesus um, on those who are uh, a man who is incredibly unlovely and, and undeserving and um, Lord, we, we see ourselves, help us to see ourselves um, in him, in his hopelessness, um, in his uh, enslavement to sin, to evil. Uh, help us to see how um, incredible and powerful your compassion toward us has been. And uh, Lord, let, us, let that motivate us today and this week and in coming weeks and years and the way that we live and our eagerness to share that with others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.